We're in the first chapter of the first epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians, and we are still looking at the greeting, the introduction to this letter. So let's remind ourselves of what we have already done, and I'll read on to the verses we will start considering tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, that's um, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and Father. The Apostle Paul has been in Corinth waiting with great anticipation for the return of Timothy. He had sent Timothy uh, back to Thessalonica. Uh, Paul had been absent from Thessalonica uh, for a while uh, because they, as missionaries, were thrown out, but under their preaching, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, God worked, and people were saved, and a church, an infant church, was formed. But uh, Paul, the spiritual father of those people, was not able to stay, and so he is anxious, anxious about them. And so from Corinth, he's waiting for Timothy to come back and to give an account of how these young believers are faring. And we can imagine Paul's relief when he hears that they are being kept, that because God has saved them, they haven't gone back to the world. Uh, my friends, it's amazing. Uh, Paul was thrown out of Thessalonica because of persecution, leaving people who'd only been saved for a matter of weeks. And yet, because it was a work of the Spirit, they had persevered. So Paul is just gushing with thanksgiving. And so the first part of the letter, uh, chapters 1 to 3, really are about Paul looking back at what God did amongst the Thessalonians and just praising him for that work. And also Paul describes his own manner amongst the people. Because some of those that were persecuting, they were casting doubt upon the apostles' integrity. And yet, Timothy did say uh, there was a bit of confusion about the second coming of Christ. So people were worried about those that had died before the second coming. And other Christians were tempted not to bother working, because why work if Jesus was going to come back any day soon? So what Paul does is try and correct uh, in uh, the last two chapters some of those views on the second coming. Also, these were converted mainly from the Gentile world. They didn't have an Old Testament religious background. So as young Christians, they had to live in an immoral society. So Paul in chapter 4 also gives instruction on how to live holy lives 
when society round about us is the complete opposite. And right at the end of the letter, he just gives us these uh, little uh, uh, nuggets of gold describing how we're to live together as Christians in the family that is the church. So God willing, that is what we're going to be doing. But we're still on the greeting of the letter in chapter one. And remember, letters in Paul's time were written very differently to our letters, if you still write them, that is. With email, most of us hardly write letters. We write, dear so-and-so first, and then we put our names at the end. In Paul's day, it was done differently. Paul puts first his name. And then he writes to whom the letter is sent to, the church of the Thessalonians, and then comes the greeting, and we looked at the greeting last time, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's carrying on with the greeting here, and he gives thanks, he gives thanks. What does he give thanks for? Three things, work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. What lovely couplets, work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. But what I want us to do this evening is to look at this greeting here because he's not just giving thanks, he's not just wishing well for the people at Thessalonica, in the letters of the time, people would often uh, wish well. That's all they did. They wished well. But as Christians, we don't just say, good luck, do we? I wish you well. We have something more solid to uh, say. And this is what Paul is doing here. He's not just giving uh, a compliment He's praying, he's praying that they may know something. Now, that's what we want to look at tonight. Paul's prayer in verses 3 and I think it goes down to verse 4 as well. Verses 2 and 3 uh, and then it does go down to verse 4. Paul's prayer. Christians... We're not into wishful thinking. We're not into wishful thinking. We're into expectant praying, expectant praying. Do we not just wish well one another, but pray expectantly? I, I heard the other day this account. Uh, I think it was a country that did not have much rain and Christians were meeting together to pray that the Lord would send rain. Now, this is expectant praying. One young girl went to that prayer meeting carrying an umbrella. You get it? She was going to ask God for rain, believing, not wishfully thinking that God was going to hear their prayers, but really believing that he was going to send rain. Now, there are just three things I want to mention this evening. We're not going to come to the three couplets tonight, 
But we're going to look at three things that Paul here is doing in his praying for the believers in Thessalonica. And may we learn from this how we can pray for one another. That, that's my burden tonight. The church in Thessalonica was a family. And Paul wanted to pray, not just for himself, not just for individuals, but for the family. And don't we want to pray for one another in a New Testament way? Not in a wishy-washy way, but in a faithful, expectant way. Because we believe in a God who actually hears and answers our prayers. So the first component here I want to mention is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We give thanks, verse 2, to God always for you all. Now, if you look at all of Paul's letters, I think Galatians is the exception, they all start in the greeting with thanksgiving. Whatever church Paul is writing to, he's always beginning with giving thanks to God for those people. Now I'm thinking of the different churches, the different gospel churches in this city. We are blessed with many, many uh, in Cardiff. And if there are brothers and sisters in those churches, we can always give thanks to God for them. Now what makes Thessalonians especially uh, amazing when it comes to thanksgiving is that all the other letters, Paul starts with thanksgiving and after a few verses, it fizzles out. But in Thessalonians, I find this amazing, he's really spending the first three chapters just giving thanks. That's what he's doing. He's looking back at what God has done, what God did through him and Timothy and Silas, and he's just standing back with the heart that is filled with thankfulness. Somebody said the letter to the Thessalonians is really one long thank you note. Isn't that lovely? A thank you note. How this would have encouraged these young believers that the great apostle Paul was writing a thank you letter to them. What about us? Are our prayers filled with thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. I think it's right to say that in our circle, in Reformed evangelicalism, thanksgiving is not heard as much as it should be. We're all, aren't we, aware of how sometimes a prayer meeting can be heavy because it becomes a spiritual moaning session. And I speak of myself there, right? I'm the worst uh, in that. It's something to do with our Welsh melancholic temperaments. And then somebody is converted and they don't know what the right things to say are. And they come along to the prayer meeting and they just get up on their feet and they just pray, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for making me whole. And the prayer meeting is lifted. As somebody said, thanksgiving gives prayer wings. 
things. And so when a prayer meeting, because we're thinking of the family here, we're not just thinking of individual prayer, we're thinking of the church meeting together to pray. When we are not giving thanks, we, as it were, uh, clipping the wings of prayer, and we're stuck to the ground, and all we're seeing is the situation round about us. But once we start giving thanks, what are we doing? We're starting to use our wings, and the more we give thanks, the more we rise above the situation, and the more we begin to see something of what God is doing in a given situation. I quoted it a few weeks ago. I'm going to quote it again. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Thanksgiving. May that be something that we work on. Always, always try to give thanks Uh, Paul says towards the end of Thessalonians in those lovely verses where he talks about how we to live together as Christians. In everything, give thanks. In everything. In everything. I don't know where he stood spiritually, Winston Churchill. Uh, He he made a blunder. sending forces to Norway at the beginning of the Second World War. As a result of that blunder that Winston Churchill made, Neville Chamberlain, the then Prime Minister, had to resign. It was Winston Churchill's fault, but Neville Chamberlain stood down. And as a result of that blunder, Winston Churchill became Prime Minister. So you can see how God can use something uh, unpleasant, uh, something where we can't see, we can't see the blessing. But my friends, everything, everything can be a blessing in disguise. So in everything, we can give thanks. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, what does Paul do here? I want to read the prayer and I want you to notice. We give thanks to God always for you all. That's God the Father. Making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing you a work of faith, labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, in the sight of our God and Father. There's God the Father again. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, that's God the Father, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? The second ingredient in prayer, not just thanksgiving, but praise, praise. Our praise is directed to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune God. Now, maybe you're saying, well, maybe that was just Paul. Uh, well, it's interesting. Uh, the most famous verse, I think, is Ephesians 2.18, where Paul says, let me read it to you in case I get it wrong. Ephesians 2.18. For through him, that's Jesus Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit to the Father. There it is. The Trinity is involved in our praying. As the hymn says, O come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And it's by the energizing of 
the Holy Spirit. But it's not just a great theologian like the Apostle Paul who does this. I started our meeting reading from 1 Peter. I want you to notice now, I'm going to read again 1 Peter chapter 1, those verses. Now listen to what you've got here. Listen with Trinitarian ears. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 5, kept by the power of God. What's that? That's the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Are we Trinitarian in our praying? Now, our danger is to be going one direction or another. Uh, listen to uh, some people. I'm thinking now of my days in university. That's when everything was fresh to me. And those who were just saved would be overemphasizing, and this is not a criticism, but they would be overemphasizing God the Son. Thank you, Jesus. You've saved me. Praise the Lord. But we're to pray to God the Father as well. Indeed, we are to address primarily God the Father. Jesus Christ, when he was here on earth, that was his pattern, and we are to follow him in that. He prayed, our Father who art in heaven, in the Lord's Prayer, the pattern, the model prayer he gave us, in his great high priestly prayer, Holy Father. Now, some people, they go too far in that direction, and they're constantly praying to God, to God. There's no mention of Jesus Christ. But that's not right either. And actually, that can get you very down if you're not careful. Because without Jesus Christ as mediator, we have no right of access, have we, to a holy God. So we need Jesus Christ in prayer. And what about the spirits? The Spirit. I know some of you will say to me, Pastor, the role of the Spirit is draw, drawing attention to Jesus Christ and to the Father. That's right, that's right. But... Surely there is nothing wrong sometimes in praying to the spirits. Pray to the spirits. Uh, didn't the Apostle Paul do that? In uh, Ephesians chapter 3, in that prayer called the celestial ladder, he says in verse 14 of Ephesians 3, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now it doesn't say there that he prayed specifically to the spirit, but surely if the spirit has come upon us, then we should talk to the spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. It's all in John Owen. Volume 2, Communion with God, read it. We have communion in prayer, not just with the triune God in a vague way, but with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How can we ask for the Spirit in one sense if we don't pray to the Spirit? Look at the hymns. We've got a section in our hymn book, God the Holy Spirit, and all those hymns are prayers directed to the Spirit. So then... I'm trying to provoke us here in love. <laughs> Are we Trinitarian in our praying? I do believe, following Jesus' example, that it is the Father that we're primarily addressing. But there is nothing wrong 
with talking to Jesus Christ and talking to the spirits. Although we don't thank God the Father for dying on the cross, we thank Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Here is Isaac Watts. He wasn't a fadidadi, you know. I, we think sometimes of some of these old hymnists and theologians as uh, dry as dust. They weren't. Listen to Isaac Watts. Almighty God to thee, be endless honours done. The undivided three and the mysterious one. He's praying to the triune God. If you look at that hymn, each verse is about each person of the Trinity, directed to each person. And he ends, where reason fails, with all her powers, their faith prevails, and love adores, adores. Thanksgiving. Praise to the triune God. And then the last thing, before we come communion, remembrance. Look at Paul again. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing. Isn't that amazing? Here is a man whose heart is taken up with the triune God, and yet at the same time, his heart is also taken up with his brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That's the right way to pray, isn't it? It's this balance that we find in the Apostle Paul. He's not just praying to God. He's not just praying for the big things that God would send his spirit, but he's also interceding for the specifics. I find that balance wonderful. Something for us to emulate. Uh, this is what Beale says. Paul, as a spiritual father to the Thessalonians, and just as children are never far from the thoughts of their parents, so Paul is continually mindful of his spiritual children in Thessalonica. Now, I've never had the privilege of being a father, uh, but those of you who are parents and those of you who are starting on the road to parenthood, uh, you are always thinking, and you can't help but do it, about your children, even if they're misbehaving, because you love them. They are always on your mind. And when they go off to university, you can't help but be worried about them. That shows a love for them. And here is this great man of God, this great theologian, and his heart is concerned for his spiritual children. He can't help but every day, every hour, continue to pray without ceasing for them. I think it's one of the greatest privileges to be pastor of a church that has had and still has men and women who are intercessors in prayer. I was trying to think of some of the prayer warriors we've had over the years. Do, do you remember Mona? Mona Evans? She, wa she wasn't much to look at, was she? She looked so frail, it looked as if a little breeze would blow her over. But she was mighty, mighty in prayer. She was a prayer warrior. Even during her last years in Hebron, 
she would be bringing to the Lord in remembrance the needs of this flock, and not just this flock, of missionaries across the world. I find that astounding. I believe the last day will reveal that it's the likes of Mona and others who have been doing maybe some of the most important work in the church. This ministry of intercession. That there are some people you can you can find out the news from them because their minds are so full of bringing before the Lord the needs of God's people, you only have to get in touch with them to, to know what is happening because they've been constantly praying about things. Uh, this is what John Stott says. Memory. Now, those of us who are younger, we're not very good at memorizing things, are we? We weren't brought up to do that. Memory, thanksgiving, and prayer belong together. Perhaps we need to pray and work for better memories. For it is when we remember people, their faces, I'm hopeless with names, but I can remember faces, their faces, names, and needs, that we are prompted both to thank God and pray for them. Do we pray for one another? Do, do we use maybe the church's prayer diary to help us to pray, to remember, and the memory stirring up prayer? That's the kind of man the Apostle Paul was. Even if you can't do much anymore in the life of the church, you're not as strong physically as you once were. You can't attend as many meetings. My friend, the most important work is something you can do. You can lift up not just the ministry, but the flock before God in prayer. There was a young missionary called... Edwin, Edwin. And he met an older missionary called Hudson. Edwin Orr, the young man, Hudson Taylor, the more experienced man. And Hudson Taylor said to this man who was starting out as a missionary, I am going to pray for you every single day. Every single day. Years later, after Edwin Orr had been mightily used of God, you can read about it in The Apprenticeship of Faith, a wonderful little book. He went back to see Hudson Taylor as Hudson Taylor was uh, dying. And he made the mistake of asking Hudson Taylor if he kept his promise. Well, did you? Did you pray for me every day? And a shadow came over Hudson's face. And he said, well, there were one or two days where I couldn't pray because I was in such pain because of his terminal illness. But imagine 
having Hudson Taylor pray for you every day. Uh, I was in a service yesterday, a service of induction, and a lady came up to me and she wanted to talk to me. And she said to me, I pray for you every day. I was gobsmacked. I was gobsmacked. My friend, there is somebody in heaven who's praying for you. Not just every day, but every moment. Before the throne of God above, we have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. May we emulate something of Christ's hearts by lifting one another up in prayer, remembrance. Thanksgiving, praise, remembrance. I don't want to go on tonight to the three couplets, but let's just note before we come to communion. Patience of hope, labor of love, work of faith. What have we got? Faith, love, hope. Does that ring any bells? We've got a trinity there. 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, love. Here, it's faith, love, hope. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, And this is what one person said. Every Christian, without exception, is a believer, faith, a lover, labor of love, and a hoper, not an optimist. Some of you are optimists, others are pessimists. That's a matter of temperament. But you're a hoper if you're a believer, because hope isn't a matter of temperament, it's a matter of theology. This is what Paul is praying for these dear, dear brothers and sisters, that they may know a faith that works, works hard, a love that labors, and a hope that endures, a hope that endures. Uh, Next time, we'll go through those three couplets, but may we tonight take this from this great man of God, this great prayer warrior that we pray for one another don't just have wishful thinking (laughs) for your brothers and sisters but expectantly pray giving thanks give thanks for one another we live in times when i don't know in the west we're just we're just uh, becoming Grumpy old men, grumpy old women, aren't we? And the best antidote to that is to give thanks, give thanks for one another. Praise the triune God and remember one another in prayer for his name's sake. Now we're going to sing. It's either going to be that hymn of Isaac Watts that I quoted, the Trinitarian hymn. It is that, or we were going to sing something from the supplements. We give immortal praise. And as we go through each stanza, note that each person of the Trinity is addressed. And let us stand and sing.
heaven, we praise thee that even when our feeble minds can't comprehend uh, the greatness and the awesomeness of uh, thy person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we can worship and make us better worshippers, make us better uh, thanksgivers, uh, make us better remembrances. Oh, Lord our God, we're so sorry uh, for just being uh, apathetic, and we just pray that thou wilt help us to stir up that gift uh, of God that is in us. And now continue as we come to this uh, the family table, uh, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.